Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, as always, is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, I don't know about you, but I was not able to play much Magic the past week because of the school year starting back up, things like that, getting in the swing of things for 2022, but I knew I had nothing on Saturday, and I had the day <laughs> reserved for Cube. So I had an intensive day of cubing yesterday. I played probably eight hours of cube and then worked on these show notes a little bit. I assume you had a similar experience. I, I got to say, Ben, I don't know what it is, but I love the cubes on Arena. <laughs> they're so good. They're, they've been a little hit or miss. Like, I feel like they're still sort of finding their groove. We had a Tinkerer's Cube glow up last year, which was really good. And I just like, I don't know, like Vintage Cube came to Magic Online and I just don't care. And then Arena Cube, or as I like to call it, Companion Cube, coming back to Arena, it's just so fun. I, I really I really enjoy the, the cube and I really enjoy the changes this time and I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, Arena Cube is great. I actually really miss Tinkerer's Cube. When I was playing this, I was thinking, eh, I just want Tinkerer's Cube back. But <laughs> I do agree that this cube is very good as well. Yeah, it's sweet. And I, I do think, you know, that they're they're making a, a lot of changes. I like the Alchemied, you know, versions of stuff that's going on here. The arena only stuff. You know, this is, I think, our first chance as limited players, as limited only players, to get to play with these like, you know, spellbook style cards, these digital only cards. So excited to talk about that. Now they're going to apply for limited and just like really give our rundown of the decathlon finals and what our thoughts are on Arena Cube. Yeah, spellbook cards, no go for me. I had not ever <laughs> seen them before and did not like playing with them. Much. Wow, someone <laughs> hates two for ones and value. So uh, that's what we got going on today. So we'll get into that in just a second. First things first, got a few housekeeping things to take care of. We got the Patreon page, patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is where you can go to give back to the show if you so choose. We got a lot of really sweet reward tiers over there. We did recently rejigger some things over at the Patreon. So we've got some sweet new rewards. One of the things that people get access to at various tiers is getting access to the show a day early. Um, so you get that on Sundays rather than Mondays, which is pretty sweet. So we record these Sunday morning, get get into the editing booth immediately and uh, pump it out for our patrons on their RSS feed. So that's pretty sweet. And then also get access to some additional pieces of content on the Patreon feed. We got some uh, you know draft log review videos on there, some what's the play reviews, stuff like that that's going to be coming to the Patreon feed. So about two to three, maybe even more pieces of content like that. A lot of other stuff over on the Patreon page. So just go check that out if you're interested in giving back to the show and getting some more bang for your limited buck from us. Uh, and of course, we want to welcome our new patrons to the fold the first week that they join. So this week we are welcoming Jim, Quinn, Matthew, Todd, Simon, Kip, DJ, Gavin, Sasha, and Devin. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah, cannot say thank you enough. Those people know what's up. They're kicking off 2022 right. We've got Kamigawa Neon Dynasty around the corner. So get on in the Lords of Limited Discord. Boom. Show is also brought to you by Channel Fireball, channelfireball.com. Best place to go for anything and everything you need magic related. Speaking of Kamigawa Neon Dynasty being right around the corner, there are going to be pre-orders over there on the Channel Fireball Marketplace. So make sure you head over there if you want any Kamigawa Neon Dynasty sealed product, maybe to draft with your friends or whatnot. And anything that you get on the Channel Fireball Marketplace, whether it's sealed product or singles, make sure you use code LOL when you check out to let them know that we sent you over there. All right. So let's get into the Arena Cube. Ben dove into this, I guess, sounds like for the first time yesterday in his eight-hour marathon, including the Decathlon Finals. Uh, and you were introduced to some new uh, Mythic A logo alchemy cards in the Cube, Ben. 
yeah, was not happy about it either. <laughs> Snap picked the Seekus Chariot and then was like, wait a second. This is not what I remember this card doing. And I saw the A in the top left corner. And then I remembered that they'd changed all these cards. Yeah, it was not great. So there are four total changed cards that I think we should go over real quick here um, in the cube that exist. Three that are nerfed and one that is buffed. So what's going on first? First one is Luminarch Aspirant. That's the one in a white one one that used to at the beginning of combat on your turn, <laughs> put a plus one plus one counter on target creature. And now it doesn't put that counter on until the end step. So pretty significantly nerfed that card because it doesn't enable an attack for you necessarily the turn that it comes down. I, I want to be clear and I I, I I think maybe you don't feel this way, but I do. The three cards that were nerfed are still very good in my mind. I think Luminarch Aspirant is still a very good card. I think it is a good card. I think it is no longer in the top tier of cards in the cube. No, but I would put it in the like glue card category. So like, you know, just sub the sort of like busto cards. I think you want like cheap cards that go in multiple archetypes. And I would put Aspirant on that list. I agree with that. Yes. Alrun's Epiphany is up next. This is the blue Time Walk variant that had Fortell. But now the Fortell cost is the same as the actual casting cost. And you only get the one one, the two one one birds if you cast it from the Fortell zone. Yeah, I think that seems super reasonable to me. And I was not unhappy playing Alrun's Epiphany. I still had that in one of my decks and I felt great casting that for seven mana off of Fortell. Yeah, I think that's fine. I think that, you know, the the only reason it's bad now, or at least for limited or whatever, is that you can't, if when you top deck it, you don't get the birds when you cast it. Yes. Next up, the aforementioned Asika's Chariot. This is the three and green for the artifact vehicle. And now instead of making two cat tokens and having crew four, when ETBs, it only makes one cat token and has a crew cost of two. And then it still copies a token when it attacks. It's still very good. It's not quite really good. as... <laughs> it's not quite as busted as it was. It doesn't feel like Grave Titan anymore. You don't feel stable when you cast it. That's true. But I will say there is like, honestly, there's a little bit of upside with it only being a crew two now. Yes, I agree. I think it is still a very good threat and is less good at stabilizing you. Yeah, I agree. And then last, we actually got a card that's buffed, which is Cosmos Elixir. So this is the four mana artifact at the beginning of your end step. You draw a card if your life total is greater than your starting life total. Otherwise, you gain two life and now you scry one still highly mediocre <laughs> i think so yeah i have i don't know like i've my opponents have i haven't played it myself i've seen it on the other side of the battlefield and uh you know it's fine but not like super impressive yet like it really only is doing the gain two scry one and that's a thing but i don't know how good that thing is this feels like completely replacement level yeah i mean i, I don't know like is it unique enough in a control style deck maybe i haven't drafted many like blue control decks yet so i don't know not in my opinion i was on this as largely unplayable in the whatever format it was in i can't imagine it holds its way in cube yeah, that's sort of how I feel, too. It was in call time, by the way. We've also got a set of arena only cards that were new to the cube. I was seeing these for the first time ever on Saturday. Maybe maybe I had seen them peripherally on Twitter or something, but literally knew what none of these did. So these are digital only cards. And so we're just going to read the cards and just give a little opinion on whether we think they're good, bad, filler, medium, what decks they go in, that sort of stuff. So First up is Faithful Disciple. This is one on a white for a 2-2 human cleric with vigilance. And whenever it dies, you draft a card from its spell book. So these spell books are 15 total cards, some really good rares, some trash to your commons, some build around -y type things. And so we're not going to go through all the cards that are in their spell books. But mostly what you need to know is you're not guaranteed at all to get a good card from the spell book because you only get shown three of the 15 cards to draft a card from. And that literally means you just get shown three cards, you pick one, put it into your hand. And I think 
first of all, for Faithful Disciple, you don't get the card until this dies, which is not great. So I think its best home is like a black-white sacrifice shell, which I mm-hmm. have been very impressed with that as a newer archetype or an archetype that got a lot better with the additions of these arena-only cards and the Modern Horizon 2 cards. But I think this is pretty filler even in those style of decks like that's the only deck you want to play it in and it's not great outside of that yeah i don't know i found it to be like slightly annoying it feels a little like learn lesson to me it feels like when this dies you learn or whatever like you're not getting something insane most of the time but you're still getting a little like value boost or whatever so i found it slightly annoying to face this card but i haven't played with it myself yeah i agree with that sentiment but i think it would be way better if you did the thing when it ETB'd, right? It's annoying yes. that it has to die and that you don't necessarily have control over when it dies. That's why mm-hmm. I think Black White Sacrifice is its best home. I agree. Uh, well, you do get this effect up front. Next, we have Clone Crafter. This is one on a blue for a 1-2 human wizard. When it ETBs, you conjure a duplicate of a random creature card from your opponent's library into your hand. It perpetually gains. You may spend mana as though it were mana of any color to cast this spell. So this is Uh, pretty sweet i think in like a blue white style blink deck where you can like rebuy this etb effect multiple times and just for folks out there who are maybe like me and ben who haven't played with these kinds of effects yet uh until this cube the this like conjure a duplicate thing like it actually becomes a card in your deck right it's in your hand it goes to your graveyard like i sort of assumed maybe once it died it didn't go to the yard like it's just a card in your deck for that game now Yeah, and I think the perpetually part is no matter when, as long as it's Mm -hmm. in your hand, you can always spend that mana to cast it. So you're never going to be stranded with it in your hand awkwardly. Right. So I think this card is fine, not great. Moving on to Discover the Formula. This is one of the better ones, I think. Four blue blue for an instant, and it says seek three non-land cards, then non-land cards in your hand perpetually gain. This spell costs one less to cast. So for folks who haven't played with Seek yet, Seek means you're going to go ahead and grab three random cards out of your deck and put them into your hand, like the you know arena just does it for you. And you're not shuffling your library, right? So it doesn't affect that at all. But then it also, so not only those three spells that you grab out of your library at random, get to be one cheaper, but everything else in your hand is also now one cheaper as well. Right. So this is a great card draw spell, right? Because you're guaranteed to hit three spells of action. And then one of the downsides of a card draw spell is that you're it's tempo negative, right? And it's harder necessarily to double spell or do things on future turns. But this making everything one cheaper helps you recoup some of the tempo loss that you did by casting Discover the Formula. So super powerful control card here. Yeah. Next up is a card that's near and dear to my heart. This is Cursebound Witch, single black for a 1-2. When it dies, you draft a card from Cursebound Witch's spellbook. This is a real like meat and potatoes style piece of the um, sacrifice deck, the black-based sacrifice decks, whether that's mono black or black red or black white. Um, But I think this is a nice addition to those decks. Yes. Any black sacrifice deck, you're happy to play this, but it's not a high pick, right? You should be hoping to wheel this or picking it like six, seven, eight after you already know you're in the deck. Totally agree. Next up is Torolf's Disciple. This is two and a red for a 3-3 human warrior with haste. And whenever it attacks, you conjure four cards named Lightning Bolt into your library and then (laughs) shuffle. So you essentially just put four copies of Lightning Bolt into your deck. I don't think this card is great. I think a lot of times it makes your deck worse, like (laughs) somehow. You're not playing with Obosh enough, my friend. <laughs> Just conjure four copies of Deal 6 into your library. Um, yeah, I don't know. It seems pretty good. Like when they get the second attack and you're like, wait, you have eight lightning bolts in your deck now? 
but I guess maybe like I think yeah, if you're not interested in drawing lightning bolt, then don't put this in your deck. But I think in red aggressive decks, this is very good. But aren't there way better cards in red aggressive decks? I mean, sure, you want lightning bolt in your mono red deck, but do you want eight lightning bolts in your mono yes. red deck? <laughs> yes, you do. Yes. I I believe you do. <laughs> I believe you do. <laughs> I'm not convinced. Like, I want to draw my Ember Cleaves. I want to draw my Experimental Frenzies. Like, I think Lightning Bolt is, like, a good card in those mono red decks, but it's not the best card. So you're making it harder to draw your best cards. I mean, I, I don't think you're going to convince me. I think Lightning... I mean, if you think about, like, mono red and Vintage Cube, Lightning Bolt is one of the better cards. Like, if you go beyond the, like, whatever, the Goblin Guide, the... I'm forgetting all the things. The, like, the, the two-mana artifact, Shrine. Like, there was, like, a handful of cards, Hellrider, whatever. But beyond that, Lightning Bolt is a pretty darn high pick. Yes, I agree. But I also think that deck is way more hyper aggro than the mono red deck in Arena Cube. I think the Arena Cube is like aggro and then also has great top end threats that are also the best cards in the deck. So for whatever it's worth, that's my two cents. Next up, we've got a card that I really like. Settle the Wilds, one green green for a sorcery. Seek a basic land card and put it onto the battlefield tap. So you don't get to pick, right? It's just going to take a random basic land out of your library and put it onto the battlefield. And then you seek a permanent card with mana value equal to the number of lands you control. So at a certain point, you know, if you're a green ramp deck, this won't have any targets to find. Like if you're at 10 lands or whatever, and you don't have Ulamog, but timing this out or whatever, like I had a really good deck the other day where I got to like time this out with, okay, how do I make sure that I get to seven lands with Settle the Wild so I know I get to go tutor up Hornet Queen because it's my only seven drop, like that sort of thing. This card is pretty powerful in that respect. You can really make it sort of an actual tutor for your, you know, best top end creature. Yeah, but you have to be aware that you can whiff. So it does take planning. And I think Mm -hmm. depending on when you draw it going to be lower impact. Where would you rate picking it? It's not busted, right? It's just playable in a green deck. Yeah, like, you know, it's not if I'm thinking about those green land ramp decks, like I'm obviously taking the things that let me like play multiple lands, like the dryad of the Elysian Grove, that sort of thing, like those three drops more. But then I'd say this is like right below that. Right. And worse than all of the one and two mana accelerants. For sure. Yes. Just because those, I mean, those are way more unique yet that you have a lot more options at at three mana. Next up is Faceless Agent. This is three mana for the 2-2 Shapeshifter with Changeling. So it's all creature types. And when it enters the battlefield, you seek a creature card of the most prevalent creature type in your library. This seems too small potatoes to me. I agree. That was my impression as well. But I had opponents playing it against me all over the place. Well, I mean, I I think... I don't know if you how you felt when you first read it, but I first read it, I was like, oh, this could be good. And maybe there's like tribalish stuff you can do or ways you can sort of like manipulate your decks. So it's only always finding like, you know, some great creature for you. And so I played it once, but I just like wasn't that impressed by it. I agree. I'm certain it's playable and I'm sure there's ways to make it work like that, but it cannot be a high pick. Next is Soul Stealer Axe, single mana for an equipment, equip cost of two, equipped creature has trample, and whenever it deals combat damage to a player, you seek a card with mana value equal to that damage. I have not seen this card on the battlefield yet. It does not seem good to me. I have also not seen it on the battlefield yet, and I can't imagine it's very good. It seems clunky yeah. as all get out. Like if they if they made a red white equipment deck, then I could see it. Like if you cared about just this being an equipment for your deck, but that doesn't exist, so I don't think you want this. And if you're doing damage, you don't need this card, right? No. Like trample is not relevant. Like it looks like it's best in a big green deck. You don't want equipment in your big green decks. I don't know. This card's really yeah. awkward. Agreed. All right, we're gonna take a quick ad break here, and we'll be back to talk about one of Ben's least favorite new arena only cards. This episode is sponsored by One Shot Energy. 
OneShot is the candy company of gaming. Their first product are these awesome little candy chews that have a full energy formula in every piece. Simply put, they are a no filler, no artificial sweetener, no sugar alcohol, no garbage formula with 75 milligrams of caffeine and over 600 milligrams of additional focus, eye health, and antioxidant supplements. It's an all-in-one single chewy candy, kind of like a starburst, but with a massive kick. These little candies are one of the most convenient, efficient, and healthy ways to get clean energy that lasts. One or two in the morning before work or gaming gets you focused and energized. They work immediately once you start chewing them as the caffeine is absorbed through your mouth, and then they give a long-lasting and consistent source of energy from the remaining candy you swallow. You have to try them just to believe how much energy these little chews can give. As Chandra says on Arena, these little guys are great. <laughs> With only 20 calories each at less than 60 cents per piece, they're a great, quick, and tasty alternative to typical energy drinks. Thanks again to One Shot Energy for sponsoring this episode. Visit OneShotEnergy.com and use our code LOL to get 15% off your order and help support the podcast. And now, back to the show. All right, and we're back. Next is Key to the Archive. I have a few things to say about this card. (laughs) It says, four mana for the artifact. Key to the Archive enters the battlefield tapped. When it enters the battlefield, you get to draft a card from its spellbook and then discard a card. And it taps to add two mana in any combination of colors. So this card spellbook is one of the better spellbook suites. In fact, it is the best spellbook suite. You've got cards like Time Warp, Lightning Helix, like a lot of the best mystical archive cards. Day of Judgment, uh, Approach of the Second Sun. There's a lot of really good cards in this thing's spellbook. There's also some cards that are situational and not great. So when you play Key to the Archive, it comes into play tapped. So Word on the street is that this card is busted, insane, and I have not had that experience with it at all. I think if your deck wants a four mana mana rock, this is a very good card and you should be interested in it, but I don't think you're playing this in every deck. I think you really need to want a four mana mana rock in some sort of a control shell, preferably before you're really excited about Key to the Archive. It's also awkward in the sense that your opponent has a window to blow it up before you can use it to tap the mana. So multiple times when I got a card from this, my opponents blew it up the following turn and I couldn't cast that card. I think it is good, not insane and not one of the best cards in the cube. And that's what I felt like word on the street was. Yeah. Uh, Well, it sounds like you had some classic Ben Wernie times (laughs) with this card where like you didn't get to have any fun with it um, and your opponent always had the answer. But I agree. There's some awkwardness there in terms of like, oh, I'm in a blue red deck and I grab day of judgment because that's what I need in this situation. And then they blow it up. And now I not only don't have my key, but I also have no way to cast this day of judgment that I, you know, found off the key. So I I agree there's some awkwardness there, but it does seem pretty powerful to me. I think your your sentiment of you want to make sure your deck wants a four mana rock first and foremost is correct. Yes. And I think the other thing is you're not it's not a two for one, right? You're rummaging or you're you're looting when you do this. So you have to discard a card as well. So you're not just plus a card. The last one here is Forsaken Crossroads. This is a land. It enters the battlefield tapped. As it ETBs, you choose a color. When it ETBs, you scry one. And if you weren't the starting player, you can untap it instead. So if you went second, you can choose to have it just come into play untapped. And it taps to add one mana of the chosen color. Card is great. It's one of the best lands in the cube. I agree. All right, that's going to take us on to some cards that we just wanted to highlight from each of the colors that are new to the cube. So they did a pretty, I don't know, not like a huge overhaul, but I'd say they swapped in about maybe whatever, 15-ish cards for each color and then, you know, a handful of multicolored cards and then a bunch of new lands. So it's, you know, for a 540-ish card cube, 
you know, swapping in about, it feels like about a 20% change, maybe more 25% change to the card. So there's, there's a lot to discuss here. So we just wanted to go over some new to arena cards and some old returning cards. So first up is Restoration Angel. This is just a great piece of like the blink decks. I think this is one of those like just below like raw power cards. Um, so this is the three and a white three, four flash when ETBs, you can, you know, flicker another non-angel creature that you control. Um, really good for blink decks. I just think like really good for white aggressive decks. There's a lot of ETB stuff in white inherently and also just like saves your creatures from removal, etc. Plays well in blue, white, Drago. I just think it's a, a really good glue card in the cube. Yeah, was very impressed with Restoration Angel. Was also super impressed with the next card, Welcoming Vampire from yeah. Crimson Vow. Two and a white for the two, three flyer. And the first time a creature with power two or less enters the battlefield on your turn, you get to draw a card. This card was oppressive. It's great in mono white decks. It's also great in low to the ground white X decks like white black sacrifice, I think, is a deck that really got a huge boost with all these new cards. It's outstanding there. It's really good in Boros aggro. The blue white blink decks also have a lot of cheap like one and two power creatures that have great ETBs. So super impressed with welcoming vampire. Talk to me about this next card, Esper Sentinel. This card is read ridiculous i think for the mono white <laughs> decks it's white for a one one human soldier whenever an opponent casts their first non-creature spell each turn draw a card unless that player pays x where x is esper sentinel's power this is exactly what mono white wants in this cube it's a cheap threat it's going to ping in for some damage there are a lot of anthems to pump the power and toughness of cards like this and it's just super annoying when your opponent plays this on turn one i think it's very strong so it's got like a thalia-esque effect on the game for mono white yeah, except it's even worse. I don't know. Yeah, card felt <laughs> gross on the other side of the battlefield for my opponents. Interesting. I've not been impressed by it yet, but I, I, I definitely hear what you're saying. Certainly in conjunction with one of our next cards, Intrepid Adversary. This is one and a white for a 3-1 with lifelink, and when it enters the battlefield, you can pay one and a white any number of times, and then it gets some kind of counter on it those number of times you pay for it and then creatures you control get plus one plus one for each of those counters on it you know what this card works great with what L luris baby because Ooh. because you can it's like you can pay play it from the graveyard and then pay the additional thing any number of times it's not like stone coil serpent for example which you can only pay as x equals two with luris you can just like play adversary and then you know whatever pseudo multi-kick it any number of times you want yeah this is best in mono white and i think it is one of the better cards available for that deck now yeah i agree next up is an oppressive planeswalker this is sarah the benevolent two white white for a four casting cost planeswalker plus two creatures you control with flying get plus one plus one until end of turn minus three make a sarah angel four four white angel creature token with flying and vigilance and minus six, you get an emblem with if you control a creature, damage that would reduce your life total to less than one, reduces it to one instead. Some decks just cannot beat that emblem. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's just like this card is really good as a four mana, four, four flying vigilant thing that then you have to try and deal with because if they just go uptick, downtick again... Some decks just can't beat two Sarah Angels, you know? Right. Well, and all the green ramp, it's very reasonable to just cast this card on turn three in a green-white mm -hmm. deck a large percentage of the time. Yeah. Uh, last up here is a really annoying card, Sarah's Emissary. Four triple white for a 7-7 seven, seven Angel with flying. When it enters the battlefield, choose a card type. You and creatures you control have protection from the chosen card type. This card is ridiculous. Like, why does this exist? I don't understand. This is completely unfun. 
I mean, it's fun for the person that reanimates it or casts I it. Yes, yeah. My opponent did this to me yesterday, and they named Creature. And I was like, oh, no worries. I've got Priest of the Forgotten Gods, and I'll make them set. Nope, that targets a player. Okay. <laughs> well, I guess I'm screwed here. Okay, cool. Sounds good. Yeah. I mean, and certainly I think this, and there's some other top-end threats. I think Reanimator got a reasonable boost and is sort of a, a tier one-ish strategy now. And then mm-hmm. also just controls hard enough that you can just cast your seven drops like this at some point in the game well i also think like i don't i don't remember if mirari's wake was in the cube the last time around but it is now and like there's there you keep alluding to this but green white ramp i think is a pretty good deck i mean as a shell for a multicolor good stuff deck but also as just inherently there's a lot of good stuff to do in green white if you're ramping yes i completely agree all right, moving on to blue, maybe a, like a contentious card on this list. Ben doesn't <laughs> think this card is good. I put hard evidence here. This is single blue for the sorcery. It makes an O3 crab and a clue token. I think this is just like good little bread and butter for blue X spells decks. Yeah, that makes sense to me. But you're not picking it highly, right? Like it is less good in this cube than it was in Modern Horizons 2. I agree. I, again, I would put it in, you know, it's not Busto, but it feels pretty gluey to me in blue decks. Like I'm not I'm not drafting blue very often just because that's not what I like to do in cube. But I think if you have some of the cards we're about to talk about on this list, I think that this is like really good early support, you know, in, in the same sense of of the considers and the opts of the world. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Next up, another card from Crimson Vow, Hull Breaker Horror. This is rapidly taking its seat as one of the best cards in the cube or one of the best finishers in the cube. Yeah. It's five blue blue for the seven eight crab with flash, can't be countered. And whenever you cast a spell, you can choose one, either bounce a spell back to its owner's hand that's on the stack or return target creature that's on the battlefield to its owner's hand. Card is absurdly powerful in this cube and a great reason to draft a blue control deck yeah another really great blue build around or blue incentive is leer disciple of the drowned three blue blue for the three four spells can't be countered each instant and sorcery card in your graveyard has flashback the flashback cost is equal to that card's mana cost i I mean blue red i think just got such a huge boost and part of that is hullbreaker horror and leer coming into the cube uh, a lot of the other cards as well from like modern horizons and modern horizons 2 um but i think leer is a really strong build around in the cube yeah before blue red spells was just kind of cute like there were a lot of the limited build around cards in the cube and now it's just got like really good cards that are still supported by the spells and it was also like the double vision ral type deck where you were trying to like you know get multiple copies like you know double your instants and sorcerers you cast them, which Lear is kind of doing as well, but just in a way better way. Yes. Moving on to some new good black cards. First up is Jadar, Ghoul Caller of Nefalia. What's going on there? Okay, so this is one of the black for a 1-1 at the beginning of your end step. If you don't control a decayed zombie token, you get to make a 2-2 decayed zombie token. This is such an insane boost to the black-based sacrifice decks. It's a huge enabler for those decks. Probably the best enabler, right? I mean, I, yeah, I, I don't know off the top of my head, but it's definitely one of the best for sure. So definitely any black based sacrifice deck. I think typically they are black, red or black, white, but I think you could probably go spicier. There's enough self-contained sacrifice things in black that you could probably do it in any color pair. Or you can just do mono black. That's the other thing, right? You get Ayara or whatever, and now you have an incentive to be mono black. And so you can also just do it that way. Right. Next up is Lolth Spider Queen. This is another card that is just one of the best cards in the cube now. This is three black black for four loyalty planeswalker. Whenever a creature you control dies, put a loyalty counter on Lolth Spider Queen. 
zero, you draw a card and you lose one life. Minus three, create two two one black spider creature tokens with menace and reach. And minus eight, you get an emblem with whenever an opponent is dealt combat damage by one or more creatures you control. If that player lost less than eight life this turn, they lose life equal to the difference. I think that is literally the first time I've read <laughs> minus eight in my entire life. No one is shocked, Ben. <laughs> no one is shocked that you didn't know what the Planeswalker ultimate was. Yeah, Lolth is just nuts. Yeah, this minus three says you are stable and now your opponent has to try to attack into you to kill this Planeswalker and the creatures have reach. It's so ridiculous. And they're also threats because they have menace. So, you know, if you're not, Ben is always talking about these cards like he's operating woefully behind. But if you're ever, you know, <laughs> at parity or maybe ahead, this card just closes the door. <laughs> Next up is a huge boost again to these black base sacrifice decks because it's another blood artist effect. This is the Meat Hook Massacre. X black black for a legendary enchantment. When it enters the battlefield, each creature gets minus X minus X until end of turn. Whenever a creature you control dies, each opponent loses a life. And whenever a creature an opponent control dies, you gain a life. So not only is this just another one of those blood artist bastion of remembrance style effects for your black based sacrifice decks but it's also a two mana permanent for your Luris decks baby Ooh, nice yeah next up is yogmoth thran physician this is another modern horizons two card this is just outside the best cards in the cube or is it just one of the best cards in the cube i I think it's well first of all i think it's modern horizons one oh yeah right yes yeah but i i agree i think it's i think it's the bet like yeah, it's for how like nothing this card is in Vintage Cube. <laughs> it's so insanely good. When I saw it in Arena Cube, I was like, oh, this just has to be busto, busto in this cube. And it is. Right. And especially with all the black based sacrifice stuff. So this is two black black for a two four human cleric. It's got protection from humans. Fine upside in this cube. Pay one life, sacrifice another creature, put a minus one, minus one counter on up to one target creature and draw a card which is just insane with the amount of sacrifice stuff that's seeded into the cube. And the fact mm -hmm. that it doesn't cost mana is absolutely broken. Yep. And then black, black, discard a card to proliferate as if it didn't <laughs> need help being a good card. Right. Yeah. Yep. It's really, really good. Got a couple of bangers here in red from Modern Horizons 2. First up is Dragon Rage Channeler. Single red for the 1-1 one, one Human Shaman. Whenever you cast a non-creature spell, surveil one. And then it has Delirium, um, which is as long as there are four or more card types among cards in your graveyard, Dragon Rage Channeler gets plus two, plus two, has flying, and attacks each combat if able. Have you had a chance to play with or against this card yet? I have not. It's really good. So I, I first had the experience playing with this in one of the uh, Decathlon events. And can we just... Can we take a, another quick pause and just talk about how great the decathlon was? Like It was incredible. I, it was really, really fun. I, I was very excited about the event. I got eight of the 10 tokens, so I got my three entries yesterday. I didn't get any max wins, but I did get maximum draft tokens. So I got three wins at least in all three of my runs, which is awesome. It's just like it was super fun. So I got to play with this in the blue red Phoenix uh, historic deck, which it just like the sequencing there of figuring out, okay, like how can I get delirium by turn, whatever, two or three so that I can attack with this as a three, three. Um, it's just a really, really cool card. And the, you know, building around it, another really strong piece, certainly for a blue red deck, but I think just, you know, any red deck can make good use of this. So there, there's also another delirium card in the cube. It's a berserker. It's a one in red for a three, one that can't block. And if you have delirium, when you cast it, it has cascade. Um, I, I played with that yesterday in a black red Luris deck and I was not super impressed with it. Um, not being able to block is a pretty big downside. But anyway, Dragon Rage Channeler, pretty good threat. There's another Delirium card, our next card on this list, Unholy Heat. 
Red for an instant deals two damage to our creature Planeswalker and has Delirium deals six damage instead if there are four more card types among cards in your graveyard. Hyper, hyper efficient removal spell there. And definitely slotting into blue-red to maximize it, but probably playing it in any red deck. Yeah. And like the things you want to think about here are, you know, if you have any surveil or self mill, you know, faithless looting really helps something like a fabled passage so you can get land in the graveyard or mine stone so you can get an artifact in the graveyard. Those are the sorts of things you want to think about a little bit when you're drafting these handful of delirium cards. Uh, seasoned Pyromancer is also a way to enable them. This is one red red for a 2-2. When ETBs discard two cards, then draw two cards. For each non-land card discarded this way, you make a 1-1 red elemental creature token, and you can also pay three red red to exile it from your graveyard to make two 1-1 red elemental creature tokens. This card is very, very powerful, and for folks who haven't played with it, one of the most powerful things to do with it is that if you're empty-handed when you cast this, this is just a three-mana 2-2 draw two. Yeah, which is absurd yeah and then the also the fact that you can do the exile make two one ones at any time is also quite good you're playing this very happily in any red deck it's one of the rawly powerful cards in the cube agreed last on the red list is smoldering egg this is another huge boost to that blue red spells deck this is one in a red for an o4 with defender and whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell you put a number of ember counters on it equal to the amount of mana spent to cast that spell and then once you hit seven counters it flips into Ashmouth dragon which is four four flying dragon whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell the dragon deals two damage to any target yep i mean yeah so every card you're like oh this is good in blue red and this is good in blue red and yeah blue red just really good i think blue red is probably the biggest improver from the last iteration of the arena cube would you agree I would put black-white up against it pretty close. I think both of those color pairs got huge boosts. That's fair. Let's take a look at some green cards here. First up, oh my god, this card. Timeless Witnessed. 2GG for a 2-1. When it enters the battlefield, return target card from your graveyard to your hand. And it has Eternalize, 5 green green. You can pay that cost to exile it from your graveyard. You make a token that's a copy of it, except it's a 4-4 black zombie human shaman with no mana cost. And you Eternalize only as a sorcery. This card was insane in Modern Horizons 2, and it's insane in this cube. You can now take infinite turns in the Arena Cube if you get Timeless Witness, Soul Herder, and Time Warp. <laughs> oh my god, that's so <laughs> gross. That's all I want to do now is just draft Bant extra turns. That's so good. Yeah. Next up is Lovestruck Beast. This is 2G for a 5-5 with Adventure for a single green. When you Adventure, you make a 1-1 token, and this is a 5-5 that can't attack unless you control a 1-1 creature. This is such a good addition to my secret 1 and 2 drops for my, <laughs> my, for my Karuga decks. It's so good. I can't believe it wasn't in the queue before. Yeah, very powerful. Next up is Augur of Autumn, an addition to the sort of like Oracle of Moldiah, Corsair of Crufix, Life, uh, one GG for a 2-3. You can look at the top card of your library anytime, and you can play lands from the top of your library. And if you have Coven, if you remember that, you control three or more creatures with different powers, you can cast creature spells from the top of your library. This is really good in like green ramp decks, green land decks, green creature decks, green decks, period. Green decks, period, I think. <laughs> this card is just so strong. Yeah, one of the better green cards. What are you taking when this is up against a one mana ramp and a two mana ramp? I think for me, I would take one mana ramp cards over it, but I would probably take this over the two mana ramp cards. 
It depends what we're talking about. Like something like Paradise Druid, I think is close. Like something that's going to be like multicolored and like ensure that you get that thing. Something like a Wolf Willow Haven. Sure, I'm definitely taking this over that. Right. Last on the green list, we've got Ren and Seven. Speaking of the busted planeswalkers that got added to the cube, this is 3GG for a five loyalty planeswalker. You can plus one to look at the top four of your library and put all lands revealed that way into your hand and the rest into your graveyard. You can zero to put a number of land cards from your hand onto the battlefield tapped. Minus three to make a tree folk with reach and power and toughness equal to the number of lands you control. And then eight, return all permanent cards from your graveyard to your hand. You get an emblem with you have no maximum hand size. I When I was looking through the cube list, I was like, did they, this is a typo or something? Because I haven't seen this in a pack yet, I don't think. It's been in there. It's I picked it and it's okay. very good. It's not quite as good as Lolf and Sarah the Benevolent, but it is very strong. It's hard because in limited, you can't plus this very often. Like really, this this card is going cast, down tick, up tick, down tick. That's the play pattern. Yes. But that's really strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of really strong, one of these multicolor cards I am obsessed with is Priest of Fell Rites. White, black for a 2-2. You can tap to pay three life, sacrifice it, return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield, activate only as a sorcery. And it has unearth for three white, black, which means you can pay that cost to return this card from your graveyard to the battlefield. It gains haste, and then you exile it at the beginning of the next end step, or if it would leave the battlefield. Another great addition to white, black, white, black sacrifice, white, black reanimator, but also... White, white black, black lures. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so good. This is just like another insane way to protect or recur your Luris. Yeah. Card is very strong and one of the reasons white black got a lot better. Last on the multicolor list, we've got Halana and Elena partners. You've been losing to this card in Crimson Vow. Surprise. You're going to be losing to this card in cube. Really? Like, I mean, maybe I just haven't seen it yet, but like this, you got removal, right? How how oppressive could this card be? You do have to have removal in your hand or you lose, right? Because they play their next creature, give it haste and plus two yeah, plus yeah. two and you die. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. It's very, <laughs> very that's a, strong. It's a very strong card. That's that's a that's a fair point. All right. So so we we're talking about specific cards here. What about the colors? Like what are the colors in the cube doing best, in your opinion? I think white either wants to be aggressive, you know, mono white, you know, Boros, aggro. And I think of those, white is certainly the best as an aggressive deck. Mm-hmm. It complements black super well in a sacrifice shell or just like a low to the ground utility creature type thing with a sacrifice package. I think those low CMC white cards pair very well with black cards. And then it's also halfway in the control realm. So there's a lot of white wraths to pair with blue in blue control decks. So I think white is pretty multifaceted. And if you're drafting white, you just need to make sure you have a clear idea of which way you want to go on the white spectrum. Yeah, a little bit more of a narrow color is blue. I think blue does control late game stuff the best it's got some really strong top end we talked about Hallbreaker horror sublime epiphany um those kind of effects those like big game breaking spells uh it has a lot of counter spells counter spell itself memory lapse whatever you know a lot of three mana counter spells as well neutralize supreme will that sort of thing it's pretty weak to the aggressive strats i mean you you really want to prioritize the two mana rocks when you're in blue i think are really important like mindstone and cold steel heart there's like a handful of those those are important for you to be able to you know sort of get ahead on mana so that you can cast your better stuff. Um, and that's why I think something like hard evidence is pretty good early just to sort of like give you a little bit of a life total buffer against those aggressive strats. And while we have alchemy capabilities, speaking of 
Speaking of Sublime Epiphany, can we please get a nerfed version of Sublime Epiphany for the Arena Cube? Even if it's not for Constructed, just take that card down two notches for the Arena Cube. Or just cut it. Like, it just doesn't need to be there. It just doesn't need to be in the cube. It's fine. Especially now that there's that other alchemy card, the uh, Discover the Formula. Like, does it need two broken six mana instants? I don't think so. (laughs) Moving on to black. I think this has the least individual power among its cards. Although that is a little different now with Lolth and Yawgmoth in there. But... Mm -hmm. It has the most synergy, and I think there are insane sacrifice packages in black. I think that's what black does best, and black red and black white specifically do that super, super well. It pairs okay with blue as a support color in a control shell, and black green I have found to be pretty awkward. I mean, there's ostensibly a reanimator thing going on there, but I think white black just does that so much better than black green. I think one of the biggest knocks against blue-black specifically for me is the color intensity from each blue and black, right? Like black really wants to be your main color in your deck and so does blue. And so you get this awkward thing where you're like trying to cast these like, you know, black-black cards on three or four, but I also have counterspell in my deck. It's It can get a little dicey. Yes, and I think that's a good point to just talk about lands in the cube. Lands are less good in this cube than they are in the vintage cube, and there are a lot of lands. So you want to try to make sure if you're in a two-color deck, which I think you should be most of the time, that you pick up the duels that are specific to your color pair. Once you know you're in that color pair, then they become high picks. But this is not a case where, you know, pack one, pick one, you're taking Watery Grave, hoping to be blue-black or to splash or whatever. They're just less good than they are in the vintage cube. But there's a couple reasons there. One is I think that there's no fetch lands, right? And so you can't do the thing where you take Watery Grave and then your Bloodstained Mire is now a tri-land and finds blue, black, and red, that sort of thing. And so lands are less good in the arena cube because of that, but also because I think there's just less inherently powerful, splashable things. Like there's no Oko. You're not opening Time Walker Ancestral. And so taking a Watery Grave means, well, even if I end up in Black Red, if I open or get past a piece of power like that, I can still splash it or cast it. You don't have those effects in the Arena Cube. And so like Ben said, you're really highly incentivized, unless you're the green lands deck, you're highly incentivized to be a two-color deck. And so I want to find that two-color lane first before speculating on lands. Like someone asked me yesterday when I was streaming, they were like, oh, do you not like lands in the cube? Or are you avoiding lands? I was like, no, I just, I don't want to spend early picks on black-white lands and then end up being black-red. And then I've wasted these early picks. I would much rather find my two-color lane first and then take lands once I know what that deck is. I think the exceptions to that a little bit are cards like Forsaken Crossroads and Fabled Passage that are five-color fixers. But even then, you're not taking those super aggressively. I agree. Looking at what red does, I think low to the ground aggro backed up by aggressive threats, cheap removal. That's really what red does. I have seen, you know, big red white decks. Like I've seen a big red deck in the cube, you know, like showdown of the scalds, you know, these big like game breaking spells that red can have at the top end. I think that does exist. But I think what red does best game in and game out or draft in and draft out is be aggressive. Right. And mono red certainly is red's best thing. And also you've talked about it a bunch. Blue red spells is for real now. Yes, for sure. It's a really good deck. And then green as a color has the mana dorks, has the one mana ones. There's only a couple of those, but they're premium. And then there's a lot of two mana mana dorks. And it has a lot of premium four, five and six drops to ramp into. And I think pairs reasonably well with white, blue and red. Little less excited about green, black. But again, you can do anything. I think so. I, you know, 
I don't think that the cube feels very different to me in the sense of what archetypes there are. And, you know, I've talked about arena cube as being companion cube. So I would be remiss if I did not shout out my four best friends (laughs) here and like what I think the best ways to utilize them is so real quick yorian that's the the you have to have 20 more cards in your starting library uh you have to draft this early to make playables right you basically have to play you know 33 ish of your 44 drafted cards so that means you need to know you have it early to be able to take it and to companion it you basically can't take lands very highly because you're still trying to make that like 33 spell threshold but you can really do it it's very very good um Luris, i think is worse now that they've cut and this is not the first iteration of arena cube where they have cut this but they cut the like blue white auras package like curiosity curious obsession that style deck so Luris is worse with that but still i think strong in this cube especially with the reanimator boost in black white you want to make sure you're prioritizing ways to protect or recur Luris. so priest of fell rights unburial rights or malachir rebirth as a way to protect it or you know alcea of life's bounty just these these dauntless bodyguard these ways that that white has to protect creatures and I think it is best in black white now, right? Yes, I think so. I mean, you and I think you also because you can t- kind of get outclassed sometimes. Like you think, oh well, I'll just get this infinite value. You do, I think, want to build it mostly with an aggressive slant. I mean, that sounds obvious because like you can only play one and two drops. But I think if you're building it more as an aggressive slant, that then can maybe go do some late game stuff with a blood artist or a, a meat hook masker or whatever. That's that's its best home. Mm-hmm. Uh, Karuga, we talked about you want the secret two drops here. Um, Teamer is its best home because that gives you access to adventures, right? So then you can cast your Lovestruck Beast on turn one, or you get to use Brazen Borrower or Bone Crusher Giant early. You get to foretell stuff or cycle stuff. Alrind, you can play it as Haka as a two drop. So those are all important to not fall behind when you're companioning Karuga. And Obosh is best as top end for an aggro deck. Um, you really want a critical mass of one drops. Some sort of Mardu combination is the best home here. Though, if you can get Mana Dorks, and now that there's like Llanowar Elves and stuff like that, going black green or red green is also possible. I think, you know, you can get Elves and Gilded Goose and, and get enough one drop dorks where you can do uh, do a green base Obosh deck as well. Interesting. And my last point about companions is run more lands than you think. You know, people play Luris decks and they're like, ooh, my curve is so low. I'm going to run 15 lands. Just remember, you're always starting with an eighth card that you need to cast, you know, divination effectively for, pay three mana to put it into your hand for. So you never want to miss lands. Yes, 100% agree. I companioned Yorian yesterday and I played 27 lands and I missed a lot of land drops and it is super punishing to miss land drops. Yep. Other archetypes, we've alluded to this quite a bit, but black base sacrifice. And previously, I think it was largely black red sacrifice. I think black white is definitely giving red black a run for its money as far as good sacrifice synergies. But that is far and away what black does best. So if you find yourself, you know, you start with a Lolth or if you start with a Yawgmoth, Thran Physician, those are great archetypes to steer towards is getting deeper into black and then pairing it with red or white sacrifice outlets. And you just need to kind of clock what is wheeling because I think a lot of people do know that these decks are good at this point. So if you're expecting to wheel a card that goes in that archetype, like a Woe Strider or, you know, one of the good sacrifice cards, I think maybe like a Jadar, Ghoul Caller of Nefalia. You're expecting to wheel that and it doesn't wheel. You need to put your feelers up for like, okay, maybe this archetype isn't open and I need to pivot. But I will say, I think, I mean, at least, you know, we're recording this on Sunday the 9th. Like, 
I think you could go into most cube drafts and force this style deck if you wanted, and it would be open. I have found black base sacrifice to be open most drafts and seeing stuff like Mayhem Devil and Judith wheel in multiple packs, you know, one, two, or three. Like, I think you can get into this deck if you want to every draft. That's sort of true for most cube decks, right? You can yeah, just like fair. sit that's down fair. and say, I'm drafting this. Except, well, except something like, I feel like blue control gets contested a lot. Like there are, I think, archetypes that get contested. Sometimes the green ramp lands deck is contested a lot. Like, you know, you see all the, the dorks getting snapped up or whatever. I just feel like people are averse to this kind of deck for some reason. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, we've talked about red and white aggro are both still tier one, either red, either mono red, mono white, some combination of the two. You know, you could be white black aggro, red black aggro. But I think as, as best as either self-contained or paired with each other. How do you feel about the thought that, as we usually say, you don't really want to be mid-range? You either want to be aggressive or I think you want to be going over the top pretty hard. I think that that is generally true. I, 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 want to, I would just put a caveat of like, you just want to be doing your thing. I think the biggest hurdle for cube and for folks is like, you know, they see a bunch of cheap removal spells or, or whatever. Like you want to be doing, you want to make sure your deck has a very good game plan that isn't reactive unless you know you have Hullbreaker horror or whatever and you're just a control deck trying to get to that kind of thing i think you know because like these black red or black white sacrifice decks i would describe them as mid-rangey like they can do you know you can come out to an aggressive start for sure but you can grind your opponent to dust with those decks i think the green ramp decks kind of feel like mid-rangey decks to me a lot of the time you know if you're doing the golos field thing um obviously that's golos is a good top end thing but you know i think i think you can have success with mid-range in this cube as well yeah that's true another pet archetype of mine is wilderness reclamation control and it is still very well supported it's so good so you really want to be i think green blue base for this right blue gives you the best bang for your instant speed buck here to use wilderness reclamation to its most broken potential Yes, and it is broken. It should not wheel ever in the cube, and frequently people just don't know. They see it and they think, oh, this card's terrible, but it's actually one of the most rawly powerful cards in the cube, I think. Yeah, one of the best build-arounds and an incredibly powerful archetype in its own right. So just to run through the color pairs and actually I think what all the color pairs are seated to do, and again, you don't have to do these things in the color pairs necessarily, but red-black ostensibly sacrifice. Blue white is either sort of your classic control shell, or I think there is this this ETB blink deck as well. Red green is, I think, one of the color pairs with the least clear identity or synergy package seated into it. You could be doing some sort of a lands thing with Golos Field of the Dead, splashing all that stuff. But other than that, you're really just kind of ramping to good four, five, and six drop threats in red and green, I think. Uh, blue green, I think, is a really good home for splashing good stuff. This sort of like green-based ramp deck, obviously. Wilderness Reclamation slots in here as well. Blue black control archetype, one of the best cards you can get for it is the Scarab God. That's, again, another one of the just top 15 cards in the cube for sure. Yep. Blue red spells we talked about already, one of the best uh, boosts uh, in terms of archetypes for this new arena cube update. Green white, there's beatdown strategies, there's plus one plus one counter synergies seated throughout green white. And I think a newer green white archetype, as we alluded to, is just green white ramp into great cards. I think the plus one plus one counters deck just seems like it doesn't. I felt like maybe in the first iteration of the arena cube, it came together and was good. I have not, I don't see the synergy there anymore. Yeah, I agree. It's definitely less prevalent. Green black, I guess, is reanimator graveyard stuff. I'm not really sure what green black is trying to do here. 
white black got a huge boost with the new cards white black tokens is going around there's definitely white black sacrifice stuff there's also great white black reanimator cards just a lot of value grindy utility cards in white black that are really cool together and then lastly red white aggressive beatdown and so of all those archetypes i think the ones that are the newest and got buffed the most are black white reanimator there's just so many good modern horizons 2 cards and not necessarily reanimator specifically but almost value reanimator not not vintage cubesque where you're trying to dump you know gristlebrand in your graveyard and reanimate it it's more you're playing a game with your good cards and then you also just happen to have unburial rights or you happen to have that new black white gold card priest of fell rights and all of those things just come together to make a very good deck i think yeah i mean and also two of the best additions to the cube are those black and white planeswalkers right sarah and lolth so you can do this like black white super friends thing as well yeah those two cards there's kaya there's a lot of white planeswalkers running around i played against an opponent that had five planeswalkers on the battlefield against me in black Gross. white at one point it was ridiculous Gross. <laughs> Blue White Blink, we've talked about quite a bit. Soul Herder is super sweet addition from Modern Horizons 2. Soul Herder is the one Blue White 1-1, one, one, and at the beginning of your end step, you get to blink a card and then just recoup that ETB value instantly every turn. That's a huge boost for that deck. And we've talked a lot about how many new cards Blue Red Spells got. So talk to me about what you're feeling about the gameplay of the Arena Cube. How has it been playing out for you? Yeah, I mean, I've, again, got whatever eight hours of gameplay logged yesterday but it felt way more planeswalker centric to me than i remember from past iterations of the arena cube just lolth and sarah being two great cards that come down fairly early and again if you pair those colors with green and you put those planeswalkers down a turn ahead of schedule it's really tough to compete with that so i just remember battling through planeswalkers a lot more than i did in previous iterations of the cube yeah sure that makes sense and the other thing that stuck out to me was that decks felt way more synergistic than i remembered and not overtly synergistic like the tinkerer's cube where it is just lower powered cards that are synergistic but that there were the best cards and there were a lot of really good cards that complemented those rawly powerful cards in the arena cube much more than i remembered i remembered it just kind of being okay get your good cards out the fastest and win with your good cards but there were a lot more archetypal decks that just happened to have really good cards in them this time yeah i mean i think that's just partially the, the card pool is getting bigger and so we're getting you know more tuned versions of archetypes we're getting better selections for those archetypes to be able to put in the cube um so that's great to see i think yeah, absolutely. The last thing that stuck out to me was that there are a lot of wraths. And I think this was probably true the last time around also. But the fact that the planeswalkers are better mm. and more prevalent also made the wraths feel better and more punishing, too. It was it was awkward. Yeah, especially as as I am a very uh, creature based deck kind of cube drafter that can definitely get punished I, I have not seen or felt the rats as prevalently as in previous iterations like i felt like before in arena cube blue white control was just clearly the best deck with like approach and whatever and it hasn't felt that way quite to me in this version but maybe i've just been on like the right side of variance in that perspective yeah and not even approach like pure control but just that the rats were very impactful like if you have planeswalker yeah. and you have a wrath that's game winning right 
Mm-hmm. So it's almost yeah. Splinter Twinish in that sense. And I don't think that element was there quite so much the last time around. And lastly here, before we can maybe dive into, you know, just, just maybe a pack one, pick one from a cube draft here. I think talking about navigating drafts in cube, um, there's a couple of tiers of things that I think you want to do. First is you want to have an idea of whatever the top 10, 15, 20 best cards in the cube are and take those first and foremost. I think Cards that we've liked in the past, like Sublime Epiphany, Embercleave, and the Great Henge are still on this list. And then there's additions from this new uh, version, like Lolth and Holebreaker Horror and Sarah the Benevolent, those kinds of cards. Just these like rawly powerful game-breaking cards. And then past that, the next crop of cards that you really want to prioritize are cheap cards that go well in a lot of different archetypes. You know, we refer to them as glue cards, but those are really important, especially if you don't see the powerful cards early. You want to make sure that you've got good, cheap ways to interact and good, cheap threats and good, cheap synergy cards. Yeah. So stuff like Knight of the Ebon Legion, Machaeus the Lunark, Bone Crusher Giant, just like cheap, efficient cards that are going to go in multiple archetypes within that color are important to prioritize. Yes. And then after you have some of those, you know, tier one cards, you've got an Embercleave or you've got a Sarah the Benevolent that's pushing you down a color. You need to try to figure out what color pair or what kind of an archetype shell those want to go in. And then I think you should be trying to steer into a focused two color deck with a good curve and synergy, backing up those premium cards. And the one exception to that would be there is kind of a Golos Field of the Dead play all of the cards, you know, typically blue green based. But I think that's one of the only decks that wants to not be one or two colors. And you want to make sure you have one or both of those before you're starting to go, okay, I'm going to start taking lands highly. Taking random lands highly, I don't think is a good strategy for this cube. I concur. Um, and if you don't have bombs, if you don't ha- end up with those, you know, the sublime epiphanies of the world, the ember cleaves of the world, you want to be proactive much more than you want to be reactive just because, I mean, that's just the case in limited in general, right? If you don't have a bomb, you don't have a reason for the game to go long. So you want the game to end quicker so that your opponent doesn't get a chance to play those kinds of game breaking cards. Um, and I think just in general, drafting decks that have their own plans in cube is really important. And again, that's just important and limited in general, I would say. like I th- that, That's one of the reasons I just love Cube so much is I think it's such a good teaching tool for normal limited formats. It really teaches you to draft decks, not cards, etc. It teaches you to like prioritize a curve and think about being proactive rather than reactive, etc. I think it's just really, really helpful. And I will say, I don't know if this happened to you yesterday while you were streaming, but I got a lot of, not a lot, but enough people in Twitch chat that popped in and were like, hey, I don't really know Cube, or hey, I started playing an AFR. Do you think I should try Cube? And the answer is always yes. Assuming that you can, you know, afford to blow some gems or blow some gold, because you are probably going to lose your first, you know, five, 10 drafts or whatever, and maybe you're going to go two one. And if you go two one, you get another free entry, right? That's the hook, or at least for me, when I started learning Cube on MTGO was I got to try to two one so that Mm -hmm. I can draft again for free. And if you don't, it's like five bucks or something if you won two. So I think the answer for me is yes, you should try Cube because the Arena Cube is not going anywhere. It's only going to get more and more and more cards added to it. So the sooner you can just hop in, if it's something you want to do, you should do it now. And you're going to lose a little bit and that's okay. And the other thing I would strongly advise you to do is to watch some streams or watch some draft videos and just pause, think about the pack, 
think about what you would take and then unpause and listen to the person talk about it. Like I learned a cube from LSV and Caleb D videos on channel fireball back in the day. And then I would see the deck they drafted and think, oh, that's super sweet. Like I'm going to try to draft that. So you could do the same thing right now. Yeah, it's great. And I think the other thing to remember when you are diving into cube or consuming cube content or whatever, is that everybody drafts cube differently. It's it's not like a normal set where there is sort of like, you know, a, a very clear, you know, a correct pack one, pick one or whatever, or then, a you know, two cards to think about when you're following up or whatever. Cube, you can really look at a pack and make an argument for half the cards sometimes, you know, and it's really about enacting preferences and knowing what kind of thing you're drafting. You want to make sure you're drafting a deck with a plan, but that plan can be different from player to player. Yes. All right. Let's do a pack one, pick one here to round things out. So this is my pack one, pick one from my decathlon finals round run here. So pack one, pick one, you see the following cards as options. First up, skewer the critics, two in a red for the sorcery, deals three damage to any target, spectacle red. Yeah, I think red burn spells like this, and I think you can also lump in black removal spells as well. They're not cards you want to take early because they're so redundant. That's one of the things I think about in cube is like uniqueness of an effect. That's one of the reasons stuff like those game breaking like Ember Cleave or Sublime Epiphany, they're so unique. Nothing else is like them in the cube. There's plenty of Skewer the Critic style cards in the cube, like what's up next, which is Scorching Dragonfire. One in a red instant, deal three damage to target creature or Planeswalker. If the creature or Planeswalker would die this turn, exile it instead. Yeah, we're not taking that card. Settle the Wilds up next, one GG for a sorcery. Seek a basic land, put it into the battlefield tapped, and then seek a permanent card with mana value equal to the number of lands you control. Yeah, I like that card, but again, trying not to first pick it, I would think. Pride of Conquerors, one and a white for an instant. Creatures you control get plus one, plus one until end of turn. If you have the city's blessing, meaning 10 or more permanents when you cast this, creatures you control get plus two, plus two until end of turn instead. Card is fine. You're maybe playing it in a mono white deck, but I can't imagine playing it anywhere outside of that, and you're not picking it highly. There's not really a tokens strategy, right, in the cube. So I feel like this is a little awkward. Like, it's fine, but I, I don't really think I'd even care about it that much in mono white. Faithful Disciple is up next, one in a white for the 2-2 Vigilance. And whenever it dies, you draft a card from its spellbook. As we alluded to, fine card, best in a black-white sacrifice package so that you have control over when it dies, but not a high pick. Godless Shrine is our only land in the pack. This is the black-white shock land. Now, not taking it early. Shark Typhoon up next. This is a good one. Ooh. Five and a blue for an enchantment. Whenever you cast a non-creature spell, create an XX blue shark creature token with flying where X is that spell convert a mana cost, or you can cycle it for one blue X. And whenever you cycle it, you create an XX blue shark creature token with flying. I put this on just raw power. I put this on the, the top. I don't know how many cards in the cube list, but definitely one of the best blue cards. Yeah, probably like top 40. It's not like top, top tier, but it's right below the top tier. Yeah. Inscription of Insight. This is three and a blue for a sorcery. It has kicker two blue blue. You can choose one when you cast it, but if it was kicked, you choose any number instead. Either return up to two target creatures to their owner's hand, scry two, then draw two. Target player creates an XX blue illusion creature token where X is the number of cards in their hand. Yeah, this card is clunky and yeah. filler-ish. Like it, you could put it in a blue deck or you could not. <laughs> next up is fauna shaman one and a green for a two two elf shaman you can pay green tap discard a creature card search your library for a creature card reveal it and put it in your hand then shuffle your library this is a little bit of a weird effect without something like recurring nightmare that's where this 
style of card is best at home. But again, we've alluded to green black having reanimator packages. And this is certainly a card you would want if you did green black reanimator. And also just fine in a green deck to maybe pitch a mana dork that you draw late to go get one of your top end threats. Yep. A card that's near and dear to my heart is Crypt Breaker, single black for a 1-1 zombie. You can pay one on a black, tap it, discard a card, put a 2-2 black zombie creature token onto the battlefield, and you can tap three untapped zombies you control to draw a card and you lose one life. This is just like really good with all of the recurrable threats in black, like Reassembling Skeleton or Dread Wanderer. Um, there's zombie synergy in black as well. Um, and then this is just like a really sweet little engine, like payoff enabler all on its own. And also just a discard outlet is valuable in something yes. like black, white utility creatures. If you've got an unburial rights and you've got a random Sarah's emissary in your deck that you maybe want to cast too, the ability to just pitch that and then, oh, I happen to have my unburial rights. I'm going to unburial rights my Sarah's emissary and just randomly win the game. Yep. Next up is Baral's Expertise, three blue blue for a sorcery. Return up to three target artifacts and or creatures of their owner's hand. You may cast a card with converted mana cost four or less from your hand without paying its mana cost. This is good. It's yes. very powerful. It's a huge tempo hit to your opponent and a huge boost for you if you put anything reasonable that costs three or four mana onto the battlefield for free. It basically gives blue. I mean, it's not like a wrath, but it gives blue that sort of like help me stabilize catch up kind of effect inherent in its color without having to like, I need to pair it with white so I can get a sweeper effect or pair with black to get a sweeper, that sort of thing. So I think Baral's Expertise is in second place for me here in this pack so far. Shark Typhoon 1, Baral's Expertise 2, and I think Crypt Breaker is in third, but a very close third. Baleful Mastery is next, three and a black for an instant. Exile target creature or planeswalker. You can also just pay one and a black rather than pay the spell's mana cost. And if you pay that, then an opponent draws a card. So either four mana exile a thing or two mana exile a thing and they draw a card. I think this has gone up slightly with the busted planeswalker that they've added. But again, not a crazy high pick. Sure. Time warp up next. There's some shenanigans to get up to with this card. Three blue blue sorcery target player takes an extra turn after this one. There are a lot of ways in green to rebuy time warp. Yeah. Sphinx's revelation is next. Blue blue white X instant. You gain X life and draw X cards. Card is good. It's not as good as it was back in the day. <laughs> I don't know how, to, how else to say that. It's kind of an old card, and it was really good in standard back in the day, but it's fine. Like, you would include it. I think it is worse than something like that four blue blue new alchemy card. What's the name of that? Discover the Formula. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, I mean, this card is over 10 years old, right? This was in, uh, was this in Return to Ravnica? That sounds right. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's an old card. So yeah, they, they make them a little bit better now. <laughs> You know, like, it's like, what can I say? And lastly, in the pack, we've got Dragon Master Outcast, red for the 1 1 at the beginning of your upkeep. If you control six or more lands, put a 5 5 red dragon creature token with flying onto the battlefield. This is one of the things that, like, this and like Rada, Heart of Keld, these are the cards that make me go, oh, I think red green is, is a lands ramp deck, right? Like, if you can have Dragon Master Outcast in your red green ramp deck, where, you know, this is threatening to make a dragon on turn four or something rather than turn six it's pretty insane yeah and just a fine card to include in a red deck that wants the game to go longer one mana for yes. a card that the opponent has to deal with when you play it on turn four or turn five is very powerful i agree so i think you know we've got super cheap glue-ish cards in dragon master outcast and crypt breaker and then some like game breaking potentially blue cards in i would say time warp and shark typhoon 
Yes. I think it was very close for me between Time Warp and Shark Typhoon. I didn't know at the time quite what you could do with Time Warp. So I landed on Shark Typhoon here as what I thought was the most powerful card in the pack. And I think that probably is still true. I think the ceiling on Time Warp is probably higher than Shark Typhoon if you get it in the right shell. But Shark Typhoon is just in any blue deck going to be an excellent magic card. Yeah. And I also think you could just make a case for I want to play a black deck, so I'm going to take Grip Breaker, or I want to play a red deck, so I'm going to take Outcast. Yeah, that makes sense to me. And that's why, like, <laughs> that's why Cube, I think, can be daunting, is because I think people want to look at a pack one, pick one, and go, well, there's got to be a consensus right answer. And there just isn't. Well, and I think of people, you and I tend to draft Cube fairly similarly. So you might get a third person that has a totally different opinion about this pack sure. like that maybe thinks red is the best archetype in the cube and they want to pack one, pick one, skewer the critics or whatever. Yeah, I think that's fair too. Or that they, whatever, they like lands and they're going to take Godless Shrine. Like that's not how I want to draft this cube. But you know, if that's how someone has had success with it, it's hard to argue with that. Yep. All right, go forth, try Arena Cube if you have not. And don't be afraid, I think, to get over the hump and just get in your first one and start to get cube reps under your belt because it's going to be around for a long time. And if you learn the cube, it's a lot of fun that you can have over a number of years. It's like an old friend coming back twice a year. And I assume how Vintage Cube is, like Arena Cube is going to be the Vintage Cube of Arena. And so I assume that over the years, the archetypes will probably stay fairly similar. You know, we'll see cards change, but we won't see big picture things change. And so it's going to be like riding a bike, right? You can like go away from it for a couple of years and come back to it, but you got to learn to ride the bike initially. Yes. All right. Great place to wrap us up. Thank you as always to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Thank you so much to ChannelFireball.com for sponsoring this podcast. If you're heading over to CFB for any and all purchases or signing up for CFB Pro, please use the code LOL when you check out to let them know we sent you there. You can also check us out streaming. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. Mr. is spelled out. We're both under those same usernames on Twitter, and you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later.